0: was about 24 hours after I prayed that first prayer asking Jesus to be a part of my life and on that evening some events unfolded that just made it really clear to me that God was real um, and that what I had asked for the night before in terms of forgiveness and a relationship with him and for him to, to live in and through me was real, that everything I had hoped was real was real and I just simply in a kind of overwhelming moment of understanding his love, said, God, whatever you want me to do. I had no idea the consequences of that prayer. And a lot of things would change. Some of those are obvious because I'm here teaching you this morning and I'm a pastor of a church. But some of those things didn't happen instantaneously. And one of those was Generosity. I prayed and I was sincere in that prayer. Lord, whatever you want to do. But I didn't realize that was gonna include my resources. And at that point, my perspective was that it was my resources. It it was mine to collect and hoard if I wanted to, which I didn't, because I'm not a collector, I'm not a hoarder. It was mine to squander and spend, which I did regularly, But over the years, I would begin to understand as I studied the scriptures more and more that it wasn't mine, that God resources the earth out of his creative genius. All things belong to him. He resources that and would allow me the privilege Of essentially working for him, managing those resources that he entrusted me with in a way that ultimately achieves his goals, not my goals. And it would be a lengthy process that I'm not gonna go completely into, but it would take a while to understand that because it felt like mine. When I would get a paycheck, it felt like it was mine and I I felt like I was free to do whatever I wanted to and I did that pretty randomly and pretty regularly. If you can be random and regular at the same time, basically I spent everything that came in immediately. That created problems as a young couple after we got married. And I learned the painful lesson of how much more freer it is to live a debt-free lifestyle and made a commitment to that and corrected that and it's been that way for the decades in our marriage and grateful for that, grateful for God enabling that to take place. But it was hard for me to turn loose, even though God had delegated that responsibility to me, but it wasn't mine, it was his I, I, I could, for the longest time, I could understand it at a professional level. When I, was, when I was working construction, and I was managing a construction company, and I was doing bids on custom houses, it made sense to me. Everything that came through that office belonged to the owner of the construction company. I understood that. I, I never dreamed, never even contemplate of, of wasting his money, but I wouldn't apply that to myself Personally. And part of the changed life was that as God had changed my life and as God had changed my heart, he had delegated, he had given me responsibility for something that I was capable of, and he wanted me to manage that every day and every moment, trusting him and furthering his causes. I mean it made sense in every job I had ever had it made sense that my purpose in that employment was to further the the aims and the goals of the company or the corporation or the organization I was a part of even after I became a pastor it was clearly obvious to me that people entrusted the church with their money and they entrusted me as the leader of the church to handle that appropriately and to manage that accurately and, and carefully. It was just in my personal life, I kept struggling with this reality that everything I wanted to call mine was in reality God's and my purpose was an entrusted purpose. It was a stewardship. It was a, it was a management. It was a, it was a responsibility given by God to me to manage appropriately, and to manage by his guidelines, not my guidelines. And so I had to grow in that area of discipleship. And a lot of times people don't quite understand or they don't quite catch, I think because all of us have this sort of tendency to want to take ownership, want to be possessed um, and be the possessor of those things that we have, our resources, not just money, not just cold, hard cash, but, but anything and everything that we have. It it takes a while to mature and grasp. Everything I have isn't mine, it's his. But that's not a bad thing because he's entrusted me with everything I have. And I want to manage it, and I want to use what he's entrusted me in such a significant way that it furthers his agenda, it furthers his causes. Not mine. Then that's how generosity begins to grow in our hearts. And Jesus conveyed this one afternoon as he was talking to his disciples with another parable. We've been studying that this summer. We're going to study it again in the fall. He helped understand with this fictitious story. So everybody in the story is fictional. But the principles are accurate. And it's that story I want us to look at for a few moments this morning and, and look at the story because we'll see three individuals and how they respond to this simple truth that everything belongs to God and we have been entrusted with that. And that it is a sacred trust. It is a very important. I, I, th- I feel like sometimes in my life I, I, I have this tendency to think if I say that it all belongs to God, that somehow that's a demeaning or a marginalizing response. It's like, oh, okay, so all this has been accumulated. It's God's, but I want to claim that it's mine because I want to promote myself. It's being entrusted, which is quite honestly, I think, being trusted is greater than anything I could accumulate. I mean, think about it when you trust somebody, you're giving them something while it may seem intangible, it's huge, and it may be the greatest degree of appreciation anybody ever receives from you when you step into a relationship as you date and then as you become married as you, as those processes take place, you'll be entrusted and you'll learn to trust and it's the highest compliment we can give any other individual. You move into a career path and you become responsible and you're managing a company, you have to trust and give trust to those employees. It's a huge gift. It's, it's a huge honor. And now Jesus's story indicates and teaches us that God himself creator of all things, majestic over all things, dominant over all things, this unbelievable, hard sometimes to grasp, amazing God that we're in relationship with has said to us, I trust you with my business. The story that Jesus shares is in Matthew chapter 25. It starts in verse 14. At this point, I'm not going to read through it all. I'm just going to give you a summary. But go ahead and open to it, either on your app or in your Bible, to open to it so you can follow along because we'll look at some of the specific wording as we look at this passage. Here's the storyline of God's entrusting us to manage his business. The storyline begins with an individual in the story who is extremely wealthy, quite honestly, in the context of Jesus' story, wealthy, probably beyond imagination. He delegates management of his wealth to these individuals. There's going to be three we're going to look at. And he delegates to them on the basis of ability. So he's not delegating across the board. He's not cutting an equal share of the pie to everybody. He understands their abilities. He understands their commitment. He understands who they are. He's in relationship with them. And he entrusts them according to their ability. So there's three different amounts given. They're called talents in Matthew chapter 25. But it's not talents, although it's applicable to talents in the sense of singing or artwork. Or poetry, or any of the things we think of in terms of talents. His talent is in the first century AD an actual measurement of wealth. And it refers to essentially 60 to 70 pounds of either gold or silver. Guys, imagine that for just a minute. This is just a little heavier than a sack of deer corn, but it's pure silver or it's pure gold and they're given this responsibility. It's more than an annual wage or salary at that point in time. So this is an immense wealth. We're not talking about a a small amount because I know my mind tends to do that sometimes. I want to stop and look at it and say, okay, well, it's just, he wants me to manage this part. He wants me to manage this 10% I give. I'm cool with that. I mean, think about it. I mean, I get, I get the remaining ninety percent for myself. Seems like a good deal. God gets his ten percent cut. I get everything else for myself. Though the truth of this story is, all of it's God's wealth, and the immensity of that wealth is all His, and He's entrusting me with a hundred percent. And so, quite honestly, percentages don't work in this case because it's not about cutting God in because it's all His. It's about us utilizing and living the responsibility of managing his business. And we see that in these individuals. Two of the individuals will double their amounts. The amounts are five, two, and one. The individual who gets five will double it to 10. The individual who gets two will double it to four. And the individual who gets one only preserves that one. And we'll see that as the story plays out. One of the sad parts is the individual who does not make anything, doesn't accomplish anything, doesn't do anything, actually blames the owner in this story, which we're not going to go off, and I'll try not to take off on a tangent with that, but how many times do we do that with God? How many times do we say, okay, I would manage your business, but obviously you don't understand your business, and, it's, you know, and then we, we come up with excuses, and we start to blame his character for either our inability or our lack of understanding what the situation is. Two are commended, and Jesus' story makes it really clear that these individuals are what we call believers. These are people who had faith in the master, in the business owner in this case, and were on board with him. The third individual is clearly what we call an unbeliever in relationship with God. This is somebody who doesn't know God, who doesn't understand God, who doesn't have a relationship with God and hasn't established that, and and the consequences of that will become painfully obvious as Jesus' story unfolds. To the two that are commended, they are given expanded authority, increased opportunity, the pleasure of the presence and the joy of being in relationship with the master and having his favor, knowing that he's pleased with their work. Out of this story of these three managers, we find the opportunity to understand how God expects us to make decisions about managing his business, his resources. And the first principle I want to share with us is that stewardship, and stewardship is typically a church name, although you can look up the definition, it describes management. It describes taking responsibility for the things of God. Stewardship, in the first principle, is an individual responsibility. So immediately we have to stop and look at this principle and say, okay. So this isn't a question of what my parents did. This isn't a question of what my brother or my sister did. This isn't a question of what some pastor said I was supposed to do. This isn't a question of what the person sitting next to me is doing. It is a a question of what am I doing? So we take all speculation about everybody else out. I could share you the statistics. I could share them to you on a national basis. I could share them to you on a local basis in our own church and what percentage are active in this, what percentage are not active in this. But it's valuable and significantly important to understand when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to being entrusted, we are entrusted individually. It's our responsibility. If you look down at verse 14, it talks about the man going on a journey. He called all of his servants, his workers, and his employees together, and he entrusted, this is a key phrase, you might want to underline this, he entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, that's the weight. To another he gave two talents, to one he gave one talent, depending on each one's ability. That's important to underline and highlight as well. He's entrusted them with their possessions according to their ability, and then he goes on his journey. And then, after a long time, an extended period of time, he was, and those servants, those those individuals, come back and settle accounts with him. Nothing in this is about a group party. This is not a group project in school. This is not a group management team. Each individual was given individual responsibility according to their ability according to their skill sets, according to the way God had created them and designed them, according to the way God had grown and matured and worked in them, according to the way they had responded in that relationship and grown. Not everybody is on the same playing field. We do that all the time. We want to differentiate between playing fields, and we, we have all the different names for it. So you have upper class, and you have the, you know, the middle class, and you have... The overtaxed, which is everybody in every category. We have, we have all these ways we want to delineate it, but God calls and works in each one of us individually. Now, this is, in my opinion, I think it holds up in scripture. The one semi-exception to this is in a, in a family, in a marriage, Because the very process of Christian marriage, falling in love and courting and all the things that are a part of that process, defines itself biblically from God's perspective as a single unit. For this reason, in the creation, God says, for this reason, a man leaves his mother and father, a woman... So it is important in a marriage to make these decisions as one. Now, that's going to take a whole nother series because this is probably the single most difficult conversation most couples have apart from the issue of sex. And I'm not doing a series on that. We're just going to look at money. Money. Because that's uncomfortable enough. I can't decide is it the air conditioner being out today or is it just talking about money? I'm just sweating like crazy up here. You know, it's hard. But couples, we have to work this out. And we have to manage because it's our responsibility. It was my responsibility, but the day I said I do and accepted the full responsibility of loving my wife the way Christ loves the church, it became our responsibility. And at different seasons, we did different things. When it was extremely stressful and it was extremely hard and we were fighting the battles to get out of debt, I handled most of that. I had the ability to do that. She was coping with preschoolers. And you could toss, I was talking to one of our young couples before service and, and without hesitation, I said, oh, I'd rather go to work any day than stay home with preschoolers. I mean, it's hard. You can't even understand what they're saying. And, and the more you don't understand what they're saying, the louder they get. It's just tough. So, this is an individual responsibility. If you are a married couple, having a generous heart becomes, in that one instant, a group project. Each one of these guys are called and given responsibility, each one of them is entrusted and according to their own ability. Here's the second principle Stewardship is an individual strategy. I won't read it all, but beginning in verse 16, we have an account. The guy who receives five, he immediately, and the scripture says he immediately went out and put them to work and gained five more back. The guy who's received two, he immediately goes out and immediately puts it to work, immediately starts utilizing it, and it accumulates wealth. And in this particular case specifically, he doubles to four. The third guy who gets part of it, but not all of it, his strategy is nonetheless a strategy. It's a lousy strategy. It's a bad strategy, and it's going to cost him in the end, but he makes the conclusion, hey, the owner of this company is an extremely bad and difficult person. He describes him as harsh. He describes him as one who reaps where he hasn't sown, where he gathers where he hasn't scattered. He paints the most Difficult picture of the owner of the company. And as a result, his strategy is to not put it to work and to make sure there's absolutely no risk. And he goes and he hides the amount that he's been given, which is one talent. So he takes his 60 to 70 pounds of gold and he puts it someplace, digs up the earth, hides it so that nothing can happen to the original amount. It's an individual... Strategy. It's an individual responsibility. It's an individual strategy. And it is a strategy. I'm going to tell you right now, you can make the decision. I can make the decision right now today and say, okay, I'm going to be a generous person from this point on. But if I don't create a strategy that backs up that vision, it will never happen. The love of money is probably one of the most significant driving forces in our lives, even once we're Christians. It just has that ability to come into our life and to take us over, and it has to have a strategy. We talk about that, you you know that. You know you need a budget, you know you need to plan, you need to make decisions about what you think about debt, how you're gonna use it, how you're not gonna use it, how you're not gonna let it use you. You have to come up with a strategy, and the same thing's true with generosity. You need to plan and strategize. How am I gonna be a generous person? If I'm talking about my time and not even talking about money at this point, how am I going to strategize to most effectively utilize my time, which is ultimately given from God? We'll see that parable later this fall where a rich man just accumulates everything and he thinks it's absolutely wonderful and he, just say, he makes the decision in that parable and that story of Jesus, look, let's just expand everything and make more room to store it. And the night they finish construction, God says, guess what? It's time for you to go. It's time for you to come into eternity. Jesus asked the point of question, and who's going to get all of this then, in that moment? We have to take responsibility. We have to strategize. You have to sit down as a couple and begin asking yourselves, how can we be generous? If I'm going to give more time, okay, then where is that time going to come from? How is that going to meet with my job and the demands of my job? How is that going to meet with the demands of the family and the demands of the children? How is that going to meet with the demands of my schooling? I went to school with tons of guys when I was, especially in graduate school. And they're all like, as soon as I get out of school, I'm going to do something for God. I got news for you. God's not waiting on your diploma. If he sent you to school and he's sending you to school as a graduate, he's sending you to school this semester, he has something you want to, he wants you to do this semester, not some date in the future. But you're going to have to strategize. How am I going to do it? How am I going to adjust my schedule? How am I going to adjust band? How am I going to adjust sports? How am I going to, how am I going to adjust all the things I need to do? We have to create a strategy we have to take responsibility. We have to create a strategy. And now here's the cool part of the principle. God is aware of what we're doing and he demonstrates that. I've titled in the notes, if you're on version and you're looking at the notes, I've titled that stewardship is an individual verdict. This is the most famous part of this story. In verse 21, the master has returned. He's given an account. The one who has five comes back and says, here, here's five more. I was successful, prosperous, and did with your money, with your resources, what you wanted me to do. And the master responds, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. It doesn't get any better than that moment. The first time I read through the Bible and I read that, I thought to myself, that's the guy I want to be. God give me tons of money. It didn't work out that way. But I still want to be that guy. I still want to see Jesus face to face. I see him every day. I saw him during the worship today. I saw him as we were singing. I saw him as lights were changing and music was filling my heart. I saw him as I looked around and saw people clearly deeply engaged. I saw him as I closed my eyes and I heard voices. I see Jesus all the time. But there will come a day when I will see him face to face, the same way I can look at Julia and back and forth right now in this moment, same way I can look at Ethan in this moment, I will see Jesus. And I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And I love the rest. That's the easy part to remember, memorize and quote. But I love how he says, you are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. There is a verdict on the way we handle our stewardship. We are responsible. We have to come up with a strategy, but we need to know there is an accounting at the end, and, and that accounting is something we want, we strive for, and we look forward to. There is, so to speak, an audit on the books of our life, and it will include our finances. But that's something we can anticipate, we can look forward to. In fact, the guy with two brings his two, brings the remaining two, and it's the exact same phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. But I don't want to give a false illusion either. The next one doesn't go so well. Starts towards the end of the chapter and it kind of comes to a point in verse 28 when the guy who had one comes to the master, comes to the owner of the company and says, hey, look, I know what kind of guy you are. I know how harsh you are. I know how you collect money where you didn't work. I, in fact, I mean, you can almost hear him saying, you know, in fact, that's what you did. You made us responsible for your business and you went off on a party or you went off on vacation. You've been spending all this time on the beach while we've been slaving. Well, because I know what a rotten person you are, I took your money, I hid it, I made sure nothing happened to it. Here it is. I mean, he might as well have just stood there and said, I don't like you, so I didn't do a thing. I didn't care about your business. I I wasn't concerned. And the words from the owner are just as sharp. You evil, lazy servant. Take his 60 pounds from him and give it to the one who multiplied to 10. The failure is epic in this story. But I wanna give you one more principle before we close up and then the band's gonna come up and they can start moving this way at this point because it's a simple principle. Stewardship is an individual conviction. If you're casually reading this story in the New Testament and in the Book of Matthew, it can it can feel and it can sound really harsh, and it can be a little bit confusing because you're like, "Well, the guy protected the money." I mean, there is there is genuine fear. I took a counselor to help me understand that, and it took. Several decades of living, to I really get it these days. I understand there's real fear and we shouldn't be paralyzed. But this guy is not, it's not not an issue of faith. I mean, it's not an issue of fear, it's not an issue of faith. This guy didn't know the honor. He had no clue what he was doing, had no desire. And the reason we know this is because in his description, he says, I was so afraid, but you think that's the case, and you think we're picking on scared people here, but it's not. I went off, hid your talent in the ground, see you have what is yours. The master replies, and the master even says, If you really did believe that about me, which of course isn't true, but if you did believe those things about me, at least you would have put it in the bank and gotten interest off of it. The the owner of the company recognizes he has no clue. This guy has no clue who he is. Takes away the talent, gives it to the one with ten, and then makes this statement. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And here is the harshest but the most insightful part of this story. Throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just in case you're new to the Bible, Jesus just described hell. He just described a place that is designed in its very existence only to house those angels that have rebelled against God that we call demons. That's the only residence and to house the souls of those who flat out refuse God's invitation of grace. The last point is that stewardship is a matter of individual conviction. If you're with me today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're online and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing I've taught to this point makes a difference. We are stewards of God's resources and God's business when we are a part of God's family. There are unbelievers, there are flat out unbelievers who will refuse to the very last breath of life to ever entrust their life to God and God cannot and will not entrust his resources to those individuals. So the destiny is secure, not because God's mean, not because God's harsh or any of the other accusation this man has made, but because God is just. And if you refuse him forever in relationship then you are forever removed from his kingdom, from his family. The first and most important stewardship decision any one of us has to make is what I believe about Jesus. Do I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? The son of God who gave his life through the crucifixion, the execution of the Roman empire in order that in his death, I might find forgiveness for my sin. Am I willing to believe in that Jesus who gave his life so I could be forgiven but refused to stay dead, conquered death, and as a result is alive today and is moving and working and his kingdom is thriving today and his resurrection is the guarantee of my resurrection. His resurrection is why I will experience heaven and his joy and his presence and his condemnation. His resurrection, is why the one who relieves to the very last moment that God is horrible and worthless and not worth my time will leave him separated from all eternity from God. You are not expected to be a steward of God's resources if you're not in relationship with him. Now that's tragic, so I don't want to minimize that in any way, and I sure don't want to give anybody an option out, but it's it's the bottom line of the truth. Stewardship is a matter of conviction. It's a matter of knowing him. And that's the first thing you've got to decide right now in this moment. Do I know him? If your decision is, no, I don't, then I want to ask you to pray with me. Jesus right now I'll trust you I have sin and I need forgiveness I am separated and I don't know you I want to know you now and in eternity so right now in my own words I'm praying Forgive me. Accept me. Come and be a part of my life. Give me your life. I believe in Jesus. Pray it one more time. I believe in Jesus.